0: I don't know about you, but I'm just happy to get out of there. I mean, my goodness gracious, every time Joshua fought a battle, which was every Sunday, we fought a battle, did we not? I mean, we were just pummeled. I had no idea what was going to happen when we began to preach through Joshua, but God made it a living, dramatic presentation for us, it seems like. So even though we didn't get to the very end, by golly, we're done, right? (laughs) I don't know if I'll ever preach through Joshua again in my life. I mean, that was horrendous, goodness gracious. But anyway, uh, today we are going to do something that is extremely different for us and extremely different for me. And the reason we're going to do it is I I just feel the overwhelming sense of necessity to really address this idea of my sabbatical. Uh, The first thing I want to do is I want to thank you uh, for doing that for me. You don't know it, but at at best you salvaged my pastoral ministry. Uh, At least uh, you added years to it. Uh, So I thank you for that. Uh, It really has meant a great deal to Heather and I. In 33 plus years of, of ministry, this is the first time that I have ever had an extended break like that. Uh, Normally on a break, I'm off preaching a revival meeting or leading a missions conference or uh, on the mission field. And this time we just said, nope, none of that. We have got to unplug and we've got to recenter, find our North Star again, and just kind of uh, uh, try to relaunch. And we did that. So uh, I'm grateful. So what I want to do today is try to put all this in a theological context. Here's what I did, by the way. Uh, I was able to talk with a lot of guys that have been doing this type of thing for a long time. And I was able to talk to some pastors who are 30 years plus in ministry that have had several sabbaticals. And they were able to give me some, uh, some advice uh, about it. Uh, but nonetheless, talking to them helped give a perspective. And I talked with a lot of people and I connected with a lot of people who just have a remarkable ability to set life itself within a theological framework. And I've always admired guys and gals that have that God-given ability to do that. And it seems that, you know, I've always been so focused on preaching three messages a week, sometimes in multiple languages, until... Rarely do I have time just to sit down and think. And think theologically about life and reflect and spend time within myself. But this time I I had time to do that. And it's amazing uh, some of the things that you will find. You know, I find a lot of folks uh, are are afraid of that. Y'all remember Malthus? When Malthus came for the first time to minister with me here in the States after a worship service he asked me this question he said I've noticed something about y'all I said tell me what it is he said y'all are scared to death of silence and I said tell me what you're talking about he said I've heard this several times from worship people and sound engineers and operators that we can't have any dead air time in service you ever heard that and that does as a leader I just don't want to say to you I've always been opposed to that there's a There's a snafu somewhere if there's dead air time that's not filled with something. And Malthus said, y'all need to rethink that because, you know, the Bible says be still. Literally, be quiet and know that I'm God. He said, it wouldn't hurt y'all to build quiet time into your services sometimes. Now, I don't know if I'm ready to do that or not, but, you know, it just challenged me. And some of these men that I've talked with over the past several months have, have really challenged me. So today I want to speak to you on this subject. And by the way... This is the only time. So if you're here today, you're going to hear something that nobody else has ever heard me do. And get this, you never will hear me do this again. And that is deliver what's known as a topical message. Uh, You know that I am a expository preacher. Let's get into the original language. Let's dig it out. Let's make application. Uh, But today, out of this necessity to address this subject, I think we need to deviate from that and preach what, I, what is known as a topical message. You now, The difference in an expository message topical is this. When we take a text on Sunday morning normally, we let that text determine what the topic is going to be, right? That's known as the CIT, the central idea of the text, or what's hot, the heart of the text. And then the, the major things we say about that topic come from where? Come from that text. But you see, a topical message, which is, what if any of my students ever did, they would make less than an F. I mean, it's just, it's just taboo. You don't do that type of stuff. Uh, and here I am, lo and behold, doing it today. So I will make maybe less than an F, but I really do feel like this is a necessity. A topical message, uh, the topic doesn't come from any text. It's just a topic that the preacher wants to talk about. And then normally the preacher will go and find a text to support whatever it is he wants to say. Again, F. F plus, F minus, whichever whenever is worse. That's what folk normally get when they do that type of thing in seminary. But nonetheless, I think we can make it work today. I had a preaching professor in seminary, and this is what he used to say. He used to say, everybody needs to preach a topical message once every 40 years and then repent. (laughs) (laughs) So this is my one time. And like I say, it's last because I don't have 40 more years to wait and do another one. So here we go what I learned on sabbatical I mean after all I needed to spend this time profitably you were gracious enough to give it to us and I feel like what I do as a pastor whether I'm here or not somehow or another Grace Church needs to benefit from it whether I'm on the mission field whether I'm off preaching in another church no matter what that's just the way it ought to work so how is it that you can profit from my sabbatical, well, I hope you profit much over the course of the next several months and, and, and maybe years simply because you have a pastor now that's not so tightly wrung that it looks like he's about to have his eyeballs bulge out because his blood pressure is so high. Uh, you know, it's just, things just work better when you're, when you're relaxed and when you're refreshed. And I recommend it for everybody. You know, God was serious when he talked about a day of rest. And when he talked about sabbatical years in the Bible, there is something theological to this. There's something anthropological to it. But here's what I learned on sabbatical. Number one, I learned that not working is more fun than working. (laughs) Now son, that was deep theological insight right there, wasn't it? No, here's what I really learned. I really learned that sleeping inside at night with electricity is better than sleeping outside, so we have to work, right? (laughs) But there are some some more things that are more significant than I learned, and those are what I want to share with you today. Here's here's what it is. Here's the heart of it. As I reflected on my life, and I got around these guys that are good at doing that, putting things in a theological framework, and I just got to look, looking back, I noticed that a pattern developed. And here's what it is. I noticed that there are five normal stops on the pathway to God's preferred future. Now let's stop right there for a minute and establish the fact that you do know that God has a preferred future for you, do you not? I mean, He does. God's future that He has in mind for you is better than what you could dream up for yourself. Do you believe that? I mean, doesn't the Bible say that He is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we're able to ask or even think? So let this sink in for a little while. The plans that God has for you, the preferred future, the place that He has for you, is better than you can even think or imagine. So how's he going to get us there? How's he going to get us from where we are today to inhabiting and possessing and living in his preferred future? Now look, sometimes that's a lifetime. It's a macrocosm. But there are other times when it's microcosms, where there's this episode, there's this episode, and there's this episode. But nonetheless, whether we're talking macro or micro, these five stops I find are pretty much the same. Sometimes you have to touch all five of them. Sometimes of them we get to clap one and pass a grade. But sometimes they're all five in the same scenario. Here's what I want you to do today. I'm going to take these five stops and lay them out for you. I'm going to go back and weave them into a couple of scenarios in my life. But as I'm doing this, here's what I really want you to do. I want you to be able to take this theological template and lay it over your life. And I bet what you're going to say is, you know, that's right. By golly, that's exactly the pathway that God has had me on or I am on. I want you to be able at the end of this to be able to say, you know, this is the stop that I'm at today. And when you identify what stop you're at, you know what's coming next and maybe you know how to get there. So let's look at these five stops. When God gets ready to move you, when God is ready to get you on the road to this better destiny that He has for you, this preferred future that's better than you can even imagine. What does He do? Well, here they are, five things. Number one, we usually experience a period of isolation. Isolation. That means God's got to get you alone Now, that doesn't mean that you're in solitary confinement. God has the ability to isolate you even in the middle of a crowd. Did you know that? Have you ever been sitting in a room and all of a sudden you felt like there was nobody there but you and the Lord? That's His ability to isolate us. But now other times it is. It involves physical isolation. And I think the Lord does this because... The reason He, He does it is because... Man, we are bombarded on a daily basis with information. Did you know that? Is there a time in your life when you don't have anything to think about? I mean every moment of every day there's some type of distraction. Now am I barking up the wrong tree or are you tracking with me? Huh? I mean we are busy people. There's no time for ourselves. There's no time to sit down and think. So naturally If God's going to move us from point A to point B to get us where He wants us to be, normally the first stop on that pathway is isolation. Now, here's what's going to separate me from some of my topical preaching buddies. I firmly believe that we can't determine biblical principle based on our experience. It has to come from our only source of authority, which is what? You got it. The Word. So here's what I do when I'm thinking theologically and reflecting on my life. Now, wait a minute. Is that biblical? God, when He wants to do something in my life, normally the first thing He does is separates me from the crowd. And I'm isolated. Now, does He do that and has He done that to biblical characters? Oh, yes, He has. Stop and think about this. Let's let's start with the great lawgiver of Israel, Moses himself. When God was going to get him to his preferred future and use him as the deliverer of Israel, guess where he was? Guess what the first stop was? Say it. He was on the backside of the desert keeping sheep, wasn't he? Now what do you think his boy was doing out there? I mean, he, was, he, was, he come from the household of Pharaoh. He came from the table of the king all of a sudden to walking around behind his father-in-law's sheep and trying to herd livestock. So God isolated him. You know, I, I can go and look at other prominent Bible characters like David and Jeremiah. But let's go all the way to the ministry of Jesus. Just before the initiation of his three and a half year public ministry, where did the Spirit send him? Sent him into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights, did he not? Not it seems to be the pattern when God begins to move us he puts us in some type of isolation it could be physical or it could be spiritual but nonetheless there's a period of isolation and watch me if you don't allow God to isolate you if you're not a willing participant in this isolation and so many times we're not God has a way of doing it did you know that you might end up in a hospital room For three or four days or three or four weeks. You may end up being fired from a job that you love. You you following me? God has a way of isolating us. And sometimes we think when that happens, that's the worst thing in the world that could have happened to us. No, that's the first step that God takes in getting you from where you are to your preferred future that He has in mind for you. Now that puts a new spin on things, does it not? And boys, I can tell you, that's the way it happened with me. Multiple episodes in my life. Man, I was saved when I was young. All I ever wanted to be in life was a farmer. That's all I ever wanted to be. And I was on the pathway to being that. I mean, when I was a sophomore in high school, I was already planting about 300 acres of soybeans that were mine. I already had dual-wheel John Deere tractors and bulldozers. I mean, as a 14, 15-year-old kid... I was getting it. And now all of a sudden I'm very disillusioned with church. You ever been disillusioned with church? Good. We have something in common. Here's why I was disillusioned with church. I'd go to church as a 13, 14 year old student, Colin, and they would pigeonhole me because of my age and they would put me in with other kids that were so immature they were still playing with toy models of the real thing that I was operating on a daily basis on the farm. And I couldn't connect with them. And I didn't want to be around them. I had bigger things to do, other fish to fry. And nobody would listen to me, and I just became so disillusioned with church until I quit. But now watch me. I wasn't your typical stay-at-home Baptist that never thought about it. I can remember being in my bed at night saying, God, would you please just connect me with a church where there's some mature folk that I can relate to. I just had a hunger in my heart to be around men of God and be a part of a church. And it seemed like it drug on this isolation forever. So it rocked on. And lo and behold, I I got a job at Gulfport Fire Department. I figured out I could be a fireman, work 24 on, 48 off. I could have all the benefits and still have plenty of time to do my farming. So I'm rocking along still, you know, things going well. And one Saturday morning, I'll never forget it. One Saturday morning, I was getting off. Here's what God does He isolates us. And and you know what normally happens in isolation? Here's the second stop. The second stop is clarification. It's in isolation that God will give you clarification of what it is that He's doing in your life and the direction that He wants you to take. So here I can still remember praying, God, would you connect me with a church somewhere with which I can relate? You know what? I think there's a lot of people out there praying that same prayer today. And oh God, let Grace Church be that church with which people can connect and be real. But here's the clarification that I got. It couldn't have been no clearer. One Saturday morning, I'm getting off duty, just finishing a 24-hour shift. There's a rather large department, and I was at Central Fire Station downtown. A lot of men there, a lot of hustle and bustle going on. And I'm getting off, and I'm taking my, my, my equipment across the engine room floor to store it. It's the last thing you do before you leave. I'm halfway across the engine room floor. The, incoming the, 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 the officer in charge of the next shift was just coming in he's coming in one end I'm going out the other he hollers all the way across the engine room floor says hey Allen I said yes sir he said don't you call yourself a believer I said yes sir I do he said where are you involved in church now look this is a conversation we're having all the way across an engine room floor with tons of men invo- in the middle of it you know he was just that kind of guy didn't care And I just kind of hung my head. I said, well, sir, right now I'm not involved in church. He said, you show up at my church in the morning. I'll be there waiting for you. Now, is that clarification or not? (laughs) So I said, all right. So Heather and I went. We went to this little white block building about half the size of this room we're in. There was a guy in there preaching. His name was Craig Connor. And that boy, when he got done, there wasn't no wallpaper left on the room, that boy. He just preached the dang wallpaper off the wall. And I thought, oh my gosh. And he preached in such a way as to I was convinced that what God had written 2,000 years ago, he just got through writing it for me. You know what I'm saying? And all of a sudden, I was hooked. I was hooked on the Word. Things are going fine. Listen here, listen to me. At 23, 24 years old, I had everything in life that I had ever aspired to have. Now, I don't know what that says about me. I don't know if it says I was an overachiever or if I was underambitious. But nonetheless, I had it. Had a farm, John Deere farm equipment out the yin yang. Are you allowed to say that in the pulpit, Jerry? Yeah, okay. Ernest says it's allowable. (laughs) I did. (laughs) Whatever it means, I did. Whatever a yin-yang is, I had farm equipment coming out of it. <laughs> Listen, I had a beautiful young wife. Look here, I still have a beautiful young wife, don't I? How you like that recovery, brother? Huh? Y'all see that? See, I learned something on sabbatical. <laughs> had a one-year-old son. And I was becoming increasingly miserable. Had a sneaking suspicion suspicion why, but I didn't want to admit it. Because here's what comes next. Isolation, clarification, and then hesitation. Once God lets you know what it is that His preferable future is for you, we're real hesitant to buy in. Number one, because it seems too good to be true. And number two, because it's so much bigger than we are until we don't think we can do it. Can I say to you that that's exactly where you're going to find yourself? Everything that God calls you to, calls me to is bigger than we are and we can't do it alone. If you think your preferable future is something that you can do on your own, I promise you God didn't give it to you. Because his is going to scare the bejeebies out of you. And our first reaction is, oh, not me. I'm hesitant. I can't do that. So here I am. Been through isolation, got clarification, and now I'm at hesitation. So one Sunday morning, you know, firemen, no matter what you think about it, they have to be on duty every third Sunday. So that Sunday was my day on duty. I woke up at 6 o'clock in the morning getting ready to go, and when I woke up, son, I had a migraine headache that was just absolutely a killer. I suffered with those things most of my life. There was no way I could go in with a migraine. So I called my battalion chief. I said, sir, if you will give me the first half of the shift off, let me deal with this thing, and if I can get rid of it, I'll be in for the last half. I'll work the night from from, from 8 tonight to 8 in the morning. He said, that's fine, go ahead. So Heather gets up, and she goes on to church or goes to Sunday school. I'm sitting around there, and it's, About 10.30, church starts at 11. And all of a sudden, my headache just kind of went up. look, that don't happen. How many of you have migraine headaches? They don't just go away. Huh? This headache went away, and I'm sitting there, and I thought, well, heck, I've got the first half to shift off. I might as well go to church. So I did. I got ready and went to church. Heather was singing in the choir. I went and sat down. Dr. Connor stood up, and preached that day, and he, he preached on Jonah. Somebody running from God. He doesn't know anything been going on in our world. He don't know how miserable I have been. I mean, I had been miserable. You know, y'all remember the church sign right down the road said, "God can change everything but your will." Let me tell you, that's a lie. If, God, if God's not big enough to change my will, then He's not God I am. Huh? God took me and, and, and the things that I had formerly loved, Dane, He was causing me to hate them. I came home one day and I told Heather, I said, I'm sick of this. I said, I want us to sell everything we've got. I want us to move into a condominium downtown Guffport. I don't even want to have to have a lawnmower. That's how sick I am of equipment. She thought I was going crazy. I did too. So that's, that's where I am. And, and I'm fighting what God's doing in my life. She had a sneaking suspicion, but we have never talked about it. So I get to church that day, and Brother Craig's preaching on Jonah. And son, it was nobody but me and God in that room. I was isolated again. I would cry for a little while. And y'all, you know I'm not a crier. I'd cry and cry and tune everything out and just squeeze, grit my jaws together so nobody would see me crying. I would compose myself and I'd look up, bam, he'd hit me again. I'd go right back into that mode. So he got done, he gave the invitation, and I popped up and I went down there, and uh, Heather was singing in the choir. And Craig said, Have you talked to Heather about this? I said, I have not. He said, You think you ought to? I said, probably. <laughs> He said, where is she? I said, right there. I said, I'll be right back. I went and got her out the choir and down and said, here she is. <laughs> Thank God's calling me to preach, baby. <laughs> well, it was no surprise to her. It was no surprise to anybody, really. I was just fighting it, fighting it, fighting it. So here we go. God, iso- I was in isolation first. That's the first stop. Second stop is clarification. God did it again in church that Sunday. Hesitation. But, you know... There's something else you got to get to before you do this, and it's desperation. Hey, it's only desperation that will cause you to overcome your hesitation. When you get so miserable doing what you're doing until you can't stand it anymore, then you're willing to face the stark reality and do by faith what God was calling you to do. Hence, that's where I was. I was desperately miserable, wanting to sell all of my equipment, wanting to get out of farming. I, I mean, I, I was desperate. And it was only my desperation that allowed me to overcome my hesitation. Now look, if, if you know what God's calling you to and you haven't taken that step of faith yet, saying, God, I'm in with you, watch me, you've got a little more suffering to do. You're not miserable enough. You're not desperate enough. And you know, in the midst of this good news, i got bad news for you. If you don't go ahead and surrender, it's going to get worse. It just is. That's the way it works. Desperation. 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 Now, at the end of all of this, and by the way, you know, hesitation because we don't think we can do it. I'll never forget, somebody came up and tried to talk some sense into me before we left. This boy came up, talked to me one day, he said, Now let me get this straight. You're about to quit your jobs. You're going to sell everything you've got. You're going to move your wife and family 300 miles to attend the Baptist College of Florida. You're banking on a job that you don't have, and you're going to live in a house that you don't know if it even exists. I said, now to put it that way, that's pretty much it, yeah. (laughs) When I agreed with him, he got mad at me because I didn't cancel all my plans. See what I'm saying? I understand the hesitation because what God is calling you to at first sounds foolish. It does. It sounds foolish to everybody but you. And let me go back to what Dr. Tom Kinchin told me one time when we were getting ready to be missionaries, he told me, he said, Son, if, in the course of following Jesus, if some of the people who know you best don't look at you and say, Have you lost your mind? Then you're probably not following him closely enough. So here we were. We had sold everything, and now we're in Graceville. No, we're living in Dothan, going to school in, in Graceville. Look at here. Life was good. Here's the final stop. Are you Ready? gratification. <laughs> you don't get to the good part until you get to stop five. This is where God's been, been, been wanting to get us. Gratification. We got to Graysville, Florida. Heather got the best job she ever had. We lived in a better house than what we left. Life was good. I mean, Heather's job was so good until all I had to do was be a full-time student life was good. I've been trying to talk to her unless going back to that model. <laughs> she's not in. She's at, she's at the hesitation stage, Brandon. <laughs> but look here, very early in my academic pursuits, I just realized that God had made me a nerd. <laughs> because, you know, I was the one kid in the classroom of all of my compadres that I was just obsessed with, with language. Greek floated my boat. Everybody else hated it. I loved it. Hebrew, you know, I mean, come on, I just love language. And there was only one conclusion. You know, there's only there's only a couple type of people that God does that for. You, you're either a geek or you're going to be a librarian. I figured a librarian was off the table for me. So I, I, I kind of concluded, you know, that... God gave me this desire because somehow or another I was going to be involved in training the next generation of pastors one day. Start this process all over again, can you? In order to do that, we got to have a pretty high level of education. So we packed up, went to Fort Worth, Texas, once we graduated here. Guess what happened? We got to Fort Worth. Isolation. No, it was isolation. We knew nobody out there. We were at the world's largest theological seminary on the planet at the time. There was no way to get a job because, no lie, I'm telling you the truth. There were men walking around in the shopping malls out there working as security guards that had PhDs in New Testament and, and Old Testament and Hebrew and Greek and all of that. What, no way you're going to get a job in a church? So we were isolated. Again, we had no jobs. We had no insurance. We had nothing. And I'm sitting in a seminary housing apartment. The door opens one day and Heather walks in. She's crying. I said, oh my God, now what's happened? Guess what she said. What? I'm pregnant. Exactly right. Look, it's going from bad to to worse. (laughs) Give me some Kleenex. (laughs) Is that your shirt right there? You can wash this thing later, baby. (laughs) I'm glad it wasn't due. (laughs) So here we are at Fort Worth wiping our nose on our wife's shirt. And it ain't happening. And I get back in desperation mode. I came home one day from class. I told Heather, we're going home done checking out can't handle it no more don't know what God's doing but he's broke me we're going home we had a church in Dothan calling us saying we believe that you're our pastor we need you to come back home I couldn't get a job out there I I, I couldn't do anything in Fort Worth so I said here's what we're gonna do Monday morning we're packing up and we're going to the house I go to church that Sunday I'm sitting in a a sanctuary, one of the flagship churches, Southern Baptist Convention. About 2,400 people crowded in this building. Pastor stands up in the pulpit and he reads his text. John, you know what his text was. Genesis 21.1. And here's what that text says. It says, and the Lord, that is the covenant-keeping God, the Lord remembered Sarah, and he did unto Sarah as he had promised. Except that's not what I heard. I went into that zone and this is what I heard. And the Lord remembered Richie and He did unto Richie as He had promised. I knew somehow or another that God had confirmed in our heart that He wanted me to be a part of training the next generation of pastors. And I'm thinking in my mind, the only avenue for that is seminary classroom, which means I've got to prepare up here to do that. The only way for me to do that was to stay at Fort Worth. When God gave me that word, son, it changed everything. Babe, we can't go home. Look, if I'd have went home then, I don't know what would have happened to me, but I can assure you, I would not be here today. That's how critical this, this juncture was. So we stuck it out. We finished it. We get done. Somebody was asking me how old I was when I finally graduated. The last time I was 37 years old. I'm on the flight coming home, sitting next to my doctoral supervisor who had just been through the doctoral program with me. You know, you've got to have a supervisor at every level. He'd been with me for five years. We're flying home, and here's what he says. Hey, there's a missions conference in Columbia, South Carolina next weekend. I'm going to it. You want to go? No, I don't want to go. I just got through with 12 years of higher education. The last thing I want to do is go and sit in a seminar. No, I don't want to go. And by the way, that Saturday, that's opening day of spring gobbler season. No, I don't want to go. And I sat there in that airplane seat and I thought, how can I tell this man no? Because he just gave five years of his life to me. So I went. Begrudgingly, I went. I didn't want to, didn't like it. And I got there and I heard men saying in that missions conference things that I'd never heard before. Look, I just graduated with an earned doctorate from one of our premier seminaries. So I go up to the conference leader, I said, Sir, this is my name. This is what I have done. Why have I never heard this? And I've got through the Southern Baptist Theological Educational System not once, not twice, but three times. They were saying things like this. They were saying that missions is not just going somewhere far from your house and getting out and doing something. Biblical missions is taking the gospel to those who don't have access to the gospel. Man, that lit a fire for me because that put missions all of a sudden in a theological context, not an anthropological context. You ain't going to move me by talking about the poor little pitiful heathen who's going to hell if he don't hear about Jesus. That does nothing for me, Dane. I'm sorry. I must not be spiritual. But when you put it in this context, no, we don't go to the mission field because men are lost. We go to the mission field because God is great and He's worthy of their worship. Son, that does something, Jerry. That's a different story altogether. And if we don't go, what we're saying is our God's not worthy of the worship of those who still haven't heard of Him. That fired me up. So all of a sudden, we start this process all over. Guess what? I'm isolated again. Oh, yeah, yeah, well, just get used to it because it's going to happen in your life too. Because now, guess what God's preferred future is for me? It's the mission field. I'm not wanting to do that. I'm biblically trained to be a pastor of a local church in the United States of America. Our church in, in Hilliard, we just built a, a huge building. I mean, I'm not even going to get to enjoy this. I'm finally the pastor of these people. And we're going places. We're doing stuff. And had a missionary sat down across my desk one day. He said, Pastor, you know God's called you to be a missionary, right? I said, don't say that. I mean, I rebuked him. I said, why would you say something like that? He said, because I've been with you for two days now. And he said, every time you talk about missions, your countenance changes. There's a gleam in your eye. There's a passion in your voice. And he said, you can deny it all you want to, but God has got you headed to the mission field. Here we go again. Through the process again. Let me get you just to the gratification part, can I? One night about 9.30, I'm teaching some indigenous pastors who don't have access to theological education in a mud hut thatch roof building and it's only about 130 in there. It's so dang hot, there is a cushion of water between the bottom of my feet and the flip-flops that I'm wearing. That's sweat running down my body. I try to take a break and they say, no, 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 don't stop, don't stop. They're taking notes as fast as they can. It would be like this morning or next Sunday when I get to preaching again at 12 o'clock, y'all all all standing up and say, no, 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 no. (laughs) That's what they do in Brazil, these these indigenous pastors. So it's about 9.30, it's pushing 10 o'clock now. We've been going for a long time. I am exhausted. And just before we finish, Look, I'm not one of those people that hear God speak, you know. I'm just not. But I'm telling you in that context, Dane, this is what I heard. I don't know where it came from. I don't know how I heard it. But this is what I heard. Here's your dream. It shook me so bad until I couldn't even speak. I paused. I, I, I think I think my students thought I just had a stroke. Because I was frozen. I mean, it, it was just me and God. Here's your dream. Who would have ever thought what he put in my heart 15 years, 20 years earlier at the Baptist College of Florida about teaching pastors wasn't going to take place in a seminary classroom in the United States of America was going to take place in the jungle of Brazil. Son, is God good or what? huh So they called me back into reality. Pastor Richie, Pastor Richie, you okay? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Guys, listen, we got to quit. We've been doing this a long time. Okay, let's go swimming. <laughs> swimming? Yeah, let's go swimming, Pastor Richie. It's been a hot day, long day. Let's go now. Are y'all going to that creek where y'all baptized? Yeah, we're going right there. How'd you know? It's the only creek around there. I mean, where is she going to go? <laughs> I said, y'all do know it's 10, 10, 30 before we get there, right? Yeah. I said, I am not swimming in that creek. Why? I've heard y'all talk already about the anaconda that lives in that creek. I'm not swimming there. Oh, Pastor Richie, don't worry about that anaconda. He ate a man's pig two days ago. He won't be hungry for another two weeks at least. We're fine. (laughs) Look at here. We don't baptize any false converts in Brazil. Because they might meet Jesus before they get out of the water. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) you got to be serious to be baptized in that creek. Hey, we've seen the anacondas. We're talking about snakes that are 25, 30 feet long and and, and this big around. I'm talking a serious serpent. (laughs) don't want to mess with him. But here's the dealio. Let me close this thing down. We're about to baptize some folk. We got a little anaconda in here just to test their faith. <laughs> yeah, y'all can go ahead. Chastity, if you want to get dressed, you, you fine. That's where Robin's going. <clears throat> where do you think I am today on these road stops? Which one, do you think I, which, which one of these stops do you think I'm at today? Gratification. Oh, yeah, my wife. Look here. I didn't share the part about the day in the worship service when the Lord confirmed my call to missions. One of my evangelist friends was preaching. Guess where Heather was? She was in the choir. Guess what I did? I went and got her out of the choir. She ain't singing in the choir ever again in her life. She's done. Seriously, right now I'm at gratification. Life's good. One of the things that I learned on on sabbatical is there ain't a whole lot of Grace Churches out there. Heather and I went to some churches and we'd go to their worship service, go in, leave. Nobody speak to us. Listen to me. At Grace Church, the most important people in this room today are those who are here for the first time. If you're not surrounded and folk don't inundate you with friendliness to the point that it scares you, you think they want to sell you something. <laughs> we failed. Because if you're a first-time guest here, we, we want to create a culture where you are the most important person in the room. And you are. Am I right, Grace Church? So I realized how blessed I am. All of this stuff that God took me through, and I could tell you many more things about how miserable I was when we came home to the mission field. I went through that same process again before I stumbled in Grace Church down on Waukesha one day and met John Wilson. Lo and behold, I'm at gratification. God has given us a church God has given us a farm in Troy, Alabama. Who would have ever thunk it? Only God could do that because missionaries and preachers don't make enough money to buy a farm. Oh, I, I've, been, I've always been told i would going buy the farm one day, but that's not what people mean. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you got it, huh, Jerry. Hey, 814. <laughs> <laughs> Today I'm at gratification. But you know what? When God gets ready to do something else in my life, guess where I'm going to be? It's going to start all over again. And it's going to start all over again with you. So my question to you today is, have you found yourself in these stops? Can you look back and say, you know what? I see that now. God did that in my life. My second question for you is, or third question, whichever number I'm on, number next, where are you and how are you going to move? Because I promise you, the future that God has for you is better than you ever thought it would be. The only thing standing between you and God's preferred future is... Say it. You. You. Brother Richard, Brother Rich, when's it going to get better? When you stop hesitating? And when you let God take you from point A to point B, you'll wind up in His preferred future. Hey, sabbatical's given me some insights into my life. I hope it gives you some insights into yours. Thank you. God bless you. No matter where you are in in these five stops, good stuff is still coming. Be faithful. You'll get there. Would you stand with me, please? Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for allowing us to see you at work in our lives. I pray, God, that today you have given clarification to somebody. I pray it made sense to them today why things have been happening the way they've been happening. And now they know more about what you are doing in their life and where you're taking them. So I pray, God, you're going to expedite the next few stops and get Grace Church as a whole to that place of gratification. Thank you, God, for having these plans for us. Thank you for having this future in mind. And, oh, God, give us the faith to follow you, no matter how impossible it looks, because although things are impossible with man, with God, nothing shall be impossible. So, God, get us to that place in life where you're glorified and where we're gratified. We pray it it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I worship.